Hello everyone, we are here with uh, Matei Negrescu, Head of Area Development for North Sea for New Energy Solutions uh, at Equinor. Matei, thanks for having me here. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Matteo, you've got an amazing uh, career so far and a very uh, responsible kind of position right now. Could you uh, explain a little bit more uh, about your uh, current role and what are you doing? Yes, absolutely. So um, I must say that I'm actually a petroleum engineer by training, but I currently work with renewables. Uh, I uh, have been working with uh, Equinor, which was previously known as uh, Statoil since uh, 2006 when I graduated. Uh, So we are a Norwegian-based international uh, energy company that develops oil, gas, uh, wind and solar energy and we are present in uh, more than 30 countries worldwide. So right now, as you mentioned earlier, I'm heading our company's uh, new energy solutions area development activities in the in the North Sea. And uh, more specifically, I'm responsible for uh, our strategy in the North uh, Sea. So uh, that is the strategy for offshore wind activities, but also the link between uh, offshore wind and the broader energy value chain. So the link with energy storage, the link with hydrogen, and also the link between offshore wind and uh, the decarbonization of oil and gas activities. Uh, at the same time, I'm uh, responsible for early phase projects uh, in uh, the region. So for instance, uh, right now we have an extension of uh, our uh, Sheringham Shoal and Dudgeon offshore wind projects, which will double our offshore wind capacity in Norfolk in the UK. And uh, finally, I'm responsible for uh, the High Wind Tumpen uh, project, the Uh, wind farm part of that uh, project and this is going to be the world's first uh, floating wind farm that will power oil and gas installations. That's amazing and uh, and I'm really glad that you mentioned all of those projects. We'll be definitely asking you more about them closer to the end of the podcast but uh, what I'd like to know first, uh, as you mentioned, you started in uh, what uh, it it was called Statoil back then, back in 2006 and now you are working for Equinor. So could you potentially share like uh, an insider's view of uh, this uh, transformation that uh, took Statoil into becoming Equinor. Absolutely. So um, since uh, since I joined the company in 2006, when it was still called Statoil, our strategy really changed from uh, being an upstream focused oil and gas company to becoming what we call a broad energy uh, company. And uh, I think that the context is important uh, here because it's important to realize that the world's energy systems need to transition uh, in order to provide energy that is both affordable uh, in order to continue supporting economic growth, but also that is gradually decarbonized uh, in order to be part of the solution to climate change and to deliver on the goals of the Paris Agreement. But at the same time, uh, an important element in the context is that uh, renewables industry has massively transformed over the past uh, decade or two. And this has really been driven by the deployment at scale of uh, wind and solar energy, which has made it competitive with other power generation uh, sources. And it's to the point where renewables are by far the fastest growing energy type. And uh, by 2050, it's forecasted that actually well over $10 trillion will be invested in the renewables industry, and it will employ over 40 million people worldwide. So our company has recognized uh, these changes. And in 2016, uh, we reviewed our corporate strategy and we decided to shift our focus to becoming a broad energy company. Our objective as part of this transformation is to shape the future of energy. And uh, to do that, we want to transform the oil and gas industry while at the same time building a material and profitable position in renewable energy. We, we changed our name from Statoil to Equinor in 2018. 
And that was really a reflection of this new strategy. It was a reference to our Norwegian roots, uh, but also to the notion of uh, equality and equilibrium and the balance that is required really to uh, be part of this energy transition uh, journey. And you know, a, a strategic shift uh, for a company of our size is never easy. So what, uh, what we really try to focus on is achieving the right balance between capitalizing on our legacy business and skills and developing new ones in an agile way. It's not an easy balance to find, but it's certainly a very exciting uh, challenge to work with. Nice, amazing. And I'm sure uh, as someone being there initially as, a, uh, as an engineer in the oil kind of portfolio and then eventually uh, evolving into renewables, I guess that you saw firsthand all of those challenges, right? And then this really big shift in their strategy. And I guess you would probably be, you know, in uh, in boardrooms and in meetings actually discussing and uh, debating whether they should uh, react really drastically back into 2016 or not, right? So could you potentially walk us through maybe through your own personal, you know, path and your own career and how did you see your career change and grow within the company? And if you could share a couple of key moments uh, in your career that you saw they were uh, pivotal both for you, but then also for the company. Absolutely. I'm very happy to do that. And uh, I must start by saying that a great thing about working in Equinor is that you really get the opportunity to put your skills to use in so many different areas of uh, the company and uh, both in terms of different disciplines and different uh, geographies. And this has really been uh, um, you know, a privilege for me throughout uh, my career to have such uh, interesting opportunities uh, in, uh, in Equinor. My, uh, my career actually mirrors two key transformations of the company, and that is uh, the internationalization uh, of the company and the energy transition uh, that led Statoil to become uh, Equinor. So as I mentioned earlier, I graduated as a petroleum uh, engineer from Imperial College in 2006, and I joined uh, Statoil at the time in, uh, in Norway. And I worked in Norway for six years, uh, first as a petroleum engineer and then as an advisor to our CEO at, uh, at the time. And maybe one of the first pivotal uh, moments uh, has been around the international turn that I gave to, to my career in 2012 that really corresponded, I think, with the internationalization that the company was experiencing at the same time. So I actually moved to Brazil for three years. I was based in Rio de Janeiro. I headed the reservoir management team there for the Peregrino field. It's an oil and gas uh, field, and it was at the time our largest uh, operated field outside Norway. And it was about that transformation, you know, from uh, bringing all the strengths that we had developed on the Norwegian continental shelf as an oil and gas player into a new region for us. And at the same time, you know, learning from the different environment of operating in that region and bringing those uh, learnings back to our home organization. I think that has been really an amazing uh, experience. It was a great team uh, that uh, was working uh, there in, uh, in Rio. And we were part of the journey of building Brazil actually into the most valuable asset position for the company uh, after Norway. So that, uh, that has really been a great experience. And then another pivotal uh, moment, I would say, was uh, back in 2015 when I moved to the UK and I joined our corporate uh, strategy uh, department. And uh, this was uh, exactly at the time when we were examining our strategy and uh, decided to change from being upstream oil and gas focused to becoming a broad energy uh, company. And uh, at the time, I was heading the industry analysis uh, team and we were looking at emerging trends in the energy landscape. And there were a lot of discussions around how those trends are going to impact uh, our industry and how our company should position uh, with respect to 
uh, to those trends. And this has been really a fascinating process to be part of. And I had the privilege also to lead a number of uh, strategy projects that uh, aimed at implementing this strategic shift and broadening our footprint across uh, energy value chains in places like uh, Brazil, Algeria, China, uh, and spending time with the teams on the ground in all those, uh, all those countries. Uh, and I would say that maybe the last uh, pivotal moment was uh, at the beginning of uh, this year when I was given the opportunity to join our new energy solutions uh, department and to head our area development activities in the North Sea. And uh, I definitely didn't hesitate for a moment uh, when I was given this opportunity. Very nice, Matej. It's so nice to hear this story. You know, your career linked with the, the company path, it's, it's very interesting. Actually, you were speaking about pivoting and, and we see a lot of companies right now that are moving. Today's news uh, is speaking about Equinor and BP actually partnering up uh, in US offshore wind projects. So moving on Equinor strategy, more focused on renewables, how much are you planning to invest in this area and how do you balance it with your existing oil and gas portfolio? Thank you very much for, for the question, Tom. I think, um, first of all, uh, we are very pleased to welcome BP as a partner in our U.S. offshore wind activities. And uh, I think at the same time, you know, today's transaction really demonstrates Equinor's ability to create value from developing offshore wind uh, projects. And uh, if I was to reflect a bit on our uh, strategic uh, ambition in uh, renewable energy, it's twofold. Uh, on one hand, it is to become an offshore wind major, a global offshore wind major. And at the same time, we want to gradually develop uh, profitable onshore positions uh, in selected uh, power markets. So in offshore wind, uh, what we want to do is to build regional clusters that will enable us to capture synergies and economies of scale. And uh, the North Sea is the largest and most mature of these uh, clusters, but we're also well positioned in the Baltics uh, on the U.S. Uh, East Coast. Uh, and we're looking at opportunities uh, in Asia and in places like South America uh, as well. We'll also use in the offshore wind space our leading position within the floating uh, offshore wind technology, and we want to develop that uh, at scale. And then beyond offshore wind, onshore renewables now represent around 5% of our installed capacity. And we ha currently have some solar projects in uh, Brazil and in uh, Argentina. Uh, but these projects, they require distinct capabilities and business models. And this is why we have partnered uh, in this field with a proven solar development uh, developer, sorry, uh, Scatex Solar. Uh, and we have also acquired the trading specialist company, uh, Danske Commodities. And altogether, actually, our plan is to significantly ramp up our renewable investments uh, in the next four years. So uh, for 2020 and 2021, we expect annual gross uh, capex of between uh, 0.5 and $1 billion uh, in renewables. And between uh, 2022 and 23, we could increase that to $2 to $3 billion uh, per year. And most of that we expect to go uh, into offshore wind projects. What is interesting as well is that um, more than half of our greenfield uh, capex to 2025 will go into uh, renewables. So this is more than the combined investment uh, efforts of all the other international oil companies in renewables. But maybe what I would like to emphasize as well is that oil and gas will continue to be very important for providing energy to the world for decades to come. And it will also continue to be important uh, part of Equinor's activities. And it's very important to realize that the oil and gas industry 
will experience profound transformations over the coming decades. And we aim to, to continue being part of that and being at the forefront of those transformations. So we, we have uh, a very value-driven focus on the oil and gas activities and a low carbon uh, driven focus on the oil and gas activities uh, as well. And I think an excellent example of that is our Johansverdrup field in, uh, in Norway, which came into production last year, where we capitalized on you know, our project development, our technology, digitalization capabilities, and we, we brought the fields uh, break even uh, to below $20 per barrel. Uh, but also by powering it with hydroelectricity, we are going to ensure that it has one of the lowest CO2 emissions uh, worldwide. It's actually 0.67 CO2 uh, kilograms per barrel, which is uh, just 4% of worldwide average for oil and gas fields. And this will really contribute to you know, ensure that uh, beyond our efforts in renewables, we also deliver strong decarbonization of our oil and gas activities. And we aim for having carbon neutral operations globally by 2030, but also to reduce our net carbon intensity from initial production to final consumption by over 20, about over, sorry, 50% by 2050. And the last comment I would like to, to make is between the interaction between uh, our oil and gas activities and our renewables activities, it's really thanks to our years of oil and gas expertise that uh, we, we can also now be pioneers in new energy renewable, um, uh, sorry, in renewable and new energy technology. And there's a lot of crossovers in the concepts between uh, oil and gas and, uh, and renewable technology. Uh, both on the project development side, on the supplies chain side, and uh, and so on. Great. I, I think that's that's what our you know listener, our audience is looking forward to. And um, I I mean I was thrilled by just what you you, you said just right now. I, I would like to learn more. Uh, could you give more details, perhaps, about one or two projects uh, you're working on right now? I'll use two examples from my area of activity. So uh, offshore wind uh, projects in the in the North Sea. I will start with Dogger Bank, uh, which is uh, actually the main contributor to our uh, ambition to, to grow tenfold our capacity in the offshore wind space to around four to six gigawatt by 2026. Dogger Bank will really enable us to do that because uh, when it's going to be completed, uh, it will have a capacity of 3.6 gigawatt and it will be able to provide uh, electricity to over 4.5 million UK homes. Uh, that's around 5% of the UK's electricity demand. So as such, it will be really the largest uh, offshore wind farm uh, in the world when it's uh, going to be in operations. It's located uh, around 130 kilometers off the North sea, uh, sorry, the northeast uh, coast of England, and it will be constructed in, uh, in phases. And uh, we are developing this project together with uh, SSE. And uh, we are planning to produce uh, first power from the project in uh, 2023. So what I would like to emphasize with this project is that uh, it's going to be a massive industrial development and it will also have great ripple effects in the northeast of England. And it will uh, really enable the creation of hundreds of jobs and supply chain opportunities in and around the port of Tyne, uh, which has been selected as the operations base for the, uh, for the project. Another example of a project that we're currently working on is uh, High Wind Tampen. So High Wind Tampen is a floating uh, wind farm that Equinor is building offshore Norway and that uh, is planned to come on stream in 2022. So uh, floating wind technology is a technology that we really think will be central to the energy transition. And uh, the reason for that is that uh, actually 80% 
of the world's offshore wind potential is uh, in waters that are too deep for the more traditional bottom fixed uh, wind farms. That is one factor. And the other factor is that floating wind allows you to tap into stronger and steadier winds. And um, actually, how in Scotland, uh, which is the previous uh, floating wind project that uh, we develop, is uh, the best performing wind uh, farm in the UK and maybe in the world because it can tap into those uh, strong and, uh, and steady, steady winds. So Equinor is a pioneer in floating uh, offshore wind technology. We first uh, built a demo turbine in Norway in 2009. And then uh, High Wind Scotland was the first uh, commercial floating wind farm uh, in 2017. And uh, what we have enabled through this uh, technology development uh, process is that uh, between those two projects, we took down the capex per megawatt uh, by 70%. And the ambition for High Wind Tampen, uh, which is the next project that um, we are developing now in Norway, is to reduce this uh, by uh, an additional 40%. Uh, percent. But what really makes High Wind Tampen even more special is that this will be the world's first floating wind farm that will provide power to oil and gas platforms. By doing that, actually, we will reduce the CO2 emissions at uh, the Snorre and uh, Gulfax oil and gas fields uh, by 200,000 tons per year. And what we're doing now is basically looking at scaling up that concept and uh, support uh, the decarbonization of the oil and gas industry more uh, broadly. That's amazing, Matei. We've got a lot of listeners uh, right now that they are um, either a part of an IOC, they are actually quite enthusiastic for the change that is happening right now. So uh, what would you advise all of those other oil companies, smaller, medium ones, that they are about to embark in this new journey of energy change? Any uh, specific advice around a strategy on how to start and what challenges they should be aware of? Yeah, so first of all, I don't think that uh, there is such a thing as a one-size-fits-all approach or, or strategy. What I really think uh, is key for an energy com uh, company today is to take a proactive approach at understanding uh, all the profound transformations that our industry is experiencing. And also understanding the competitive strengths that that company can leverage to position with respect to these transformations. And I think that the answer uh, to those two, to, particularly to the last question around competitive advantages, will uh, vary from, uh, from one company to the next. Uh, I think that due to its scale and due to its uh, complexity, there is no silver bullet uh, for solving the, the world's energy transition. And I think that a combination of approaches will be needed. But what I would like to leave our auditors uh, with is that I really think that solving this uh, energy transition challenge actually represents a huge opportunity for our industry. And I think that this will require innovation and it will require collaboration between companies together with governments uh, and together with a broader uh, society in order to create shared value. That's amazing. Thanks a lot, Matei. So, yeah. There's no uh, silver bullets and we should definitely start collaborating more because that's definitely uh, one of the main issues that we should be looking at right now. Thanks a lot, Matei. Uh, it was extremely insightful and I hope we see you soon again in another podcast episode. Thank you very much, uh, Stereos and Tom, for having me. Thank you, Matei. It, it was such a pleasure. Really great talk. Thank you so much.